0: when I first started Girls Who Code, people would say to me, what about the boys? Can't you just name it kids who code? And I would say, no, this is about focus, not exclusion. The reality is, is less than 20% of the technology workforce is women. So we got to call it Girls Who Code. Similarly here, two thirds of the caregiving work is done by moms. Moms make 58 cents for every dollar. Dads get a premium for doing caregiving work. So it's not about caregiving work. It's about who's doing the caregiving work.
1: Hi, and welcome
2: back to the New Rules of Business by Chief. I'm Carolyn Childers. And I'm Lindsay Kaplan, and we're the co-founders of Chief, the most powerful community of senior executive women.
1: On this podcast, we challenge preconceived notions of leadership and how underrepresented communities, particularly women and women of color, are specifically impacted. And the question we're asking today is, how is going back to, quote, business as usual, hurting working parents. This is a special episode too. It's our first interview of season
2: four. Oh gosh, the podcast turned four seasons old already. I remember watching this little podcast take its first steps, say its first (laughs) word.
1: What was the first word, Lindsay? Do you remember? It was hi. (laughs) Hi. I'm Carolyn Childers, and this is the new Rules of Business. <laughs> well, I guess we know which one of us is the sentimental one, but I am really glad that we're able to have this conversation and address the ongoing childcare crisis for our first interview of the season.
2: Yeah. The lack of affordable and accessible childcare for working parents truly is a crisis for families and businesses. A recent report found that this crisis costs companies $23 billion a year in productivity challenges. And we just went through the epitome of productivity challenges, summer break. Oh, Lord. And you know, I'm super lucky. I actually sent my kids this summer to the same camp that I went to when I was a kid. And it sounds so, you know, bucolic and lovely, but it's one of the hardest times of the year for a working parent to just kind of have that giant shift away from school, do a new schedule, arrange different modes of pickup, of drop off. It's a lot. And again, I'm one of the lucky ones because I have that worked out. But since the year 2000, the cost of childcare has actually exceeded the rate of inflation by over 40%.
1: It's why one report found that during the summer, 57% of families had at least one parent make a job change that resulted in reduced
2: income. Mm. But for us working parents, the pandemic changed the conversation because remote policies allowed us to have more flexibility and control over our schedules.
1: But it now feels like we're just snapping back to the pre-pandemic era, where we all close the blinds on the invisible labor and child care responsibilities
2: that women are shouldering. Uh, we came so far. And now, huge companies are mandating employees have to return to HQ or they risk losing their jobs. And nationwide, the number of weeks being offered for family leave has dropped. And even worse, the number of employers Offering paid family leave beyond what's required by the law dropped from only about half 53% offering paid family leave during the pandemic to now only 35% this year.
1: Knowing that only 13 states offer paid family leave, what can we do as business leaders to change how this is impacting all of our working families?
2: So that's why I spoke to this week's guest, the incredible Rashma Sajani. She's the founder and CEO of Moms First formerly known as the Marshall Plan for Moms. And she also wrote the bestseller, Pay Up, The Future of Women in Work and Why It's Different Than You Think.
1: Not to mention, she also started Girls Who Code.
2: Because she is the greatest of all time. So today, Reshma and I talk about how businesses can change the culture to support working parents. We also talk about how the lack of childcare drives women out of the workforce and most notably for us, out of that C-suite pipeline. And she also shares why she started meeting with a monk every week.
1: Really? She met with a monk every week? I can't wait to hear that one.
2: (laughs) She did. She did. Let's do it. Well, I'm thrilled you're here. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. I actually want to tell you, Carolyn and I have literally said to people, I don't know what chief can accomplish. Women cannot be leaders if they do the lion's share of caregiving and caregiving is broken in America, like this is the problem of power dynamics, of leadership, of women getting ahead. It all begins and ends here with how do we get more support and get it out of the office and actually add like regulation to fix the problem that is that is overburdening predominantly women in America. Yes, yes. So you've been at the forefront of the child care crisis conversation and an advocate for the 11 million moms who exited the workforce due to child care in 2020. Now in 2023, we're seeing companies in finance and tech mandate strict return to office policies. Companies are offering less paid parental leave, and we're also seeing rising child care costs. So what does the landscape look like for working parents right now? Because it feels like we are regressing.
0: Yeah. I mean, it definitely feels like we're at a standstill at best. And every moment that we remain in a standstill is detrimental to women and families. You know, the crisis that was affecting women in the workforce, it didn't just start and end with the pandemic, right? We're going to feel the effects of the pandemic for generations. And as a nation, even though we had like almost like a gift— to really see how broken the structure of care is, as an nation, we're still failing to address the underlying issues that have been limiting, you know, women's advancement for decades. And, in fact, what's ironic is, like, there's a push to return to a status quo that was never working, you know, for women or, quite frankly, any marginalized people. When we talk about this at Moms First, you know, there's really two factors that are exacerbating you know, these problems and setting women back even further. The first one is the worsening child care crisis. You know, 40% of parents are in debt because of the cost of child care. Most Americans can't find childcare, it's not available or affordable for them. And we're failing to have transformative action in the implementation of flexible and remote work, which we know really kind of is a lifeline for so many moms, especially in those early years when your kids are young and you're trying to balance doing both. So, like our inability to solve these problems are having huge kind of consequences for, you know, women's security, for business and for our economy.
2: It's funny. I was at a women's event about a year ago, and there was a CEO of a major bank at this event. And I'm not going to name names, but a very famous banking CEO. And he said, I hate working on Zoom. I want everybody back in the office. And I know it's better for moms. I know women like it more to work from home. And we'll figure that out. We'll, We'll figure that out. And he kind of waved it off. Is anybody figuring this out? Or is it just kind of like, We want to go back to the office and you'll figure it out. I think here's the
0: thing. There's a real big push to really go back to what they know, even though the data is showing them something different. Someone said this to me, like, language is important. If you notice, a lot of those CEOs talk about it in terms of productivity. And productivity is really just butts in the seats. We should be talking about it in terms of effectiveness. No one can say, well, the moms that have been working remotely haven't produced the same amount or if more widgets than the guy that's been in the office every day. We know that that is actually not true. So I think that there's a continued push by some of these big CEOs. And let's be honest, it's all about commercial real estate. That's what this is about. It's not about productivity, it's not about the stock market. It's not about, you know, collaboration. It's it's about commercial real estate. I think there is a revolt happening, you know, with workers. And you see this every time people change the goalpost. Like people are protesting, you know what I mean? And they're pushing back. So I think at the end of the day, Remote work flexibility it's here to stay. And I wish people would just accept that. And like let's just have a conversation about design rather than are we going back to work or not going back to work. But there's definitely a resistance, and we just have to push back against it.
2: Yeah, I read women are 25% more likely to take a job if it's remote. That's a big number, and I think it absolutely has to do with not just commuting, not just the comfort of home, the code switching that happens in the office, but all of that caregiving, You know, all of that time spent away and all of the flexibility we're losing as parents. Yeah. Silicon Valley has done this for a long
0: time because engineers have been taking advantage of remote work for a long time. And so they know that to keep the best the brightest, you got to offer flexibility. So it's interesting about who is being asked to come back and who isn't.
2: Yeah. And it's interesting to note that those tech jobs are often men right? They're not often the moms. Yeah, Actually, Chief just did a study that showed that there is a lot more bias, surprise, surprise, that men view working moms as less dedicated to their jobs than working dads. So there's a lot of stereotype and bias associated with parenting as well.
0: Absolutely. Moms make 58 cents on every dollar made by a dad.
2: Oh, that number is painful. And I'm sure the breakdown is even worse when you look at people with intersectional identities as well. Absolutely. So your advocacy focuses on women at work as parents, but we know that's only half the equation. So what do we risk when we focus that conversation just on mothers? And how do we help address the gender gap that comes with parenting?
0: Yeah. I mean, look, when I started Marshall Plan for Moms, which is now Moms First, people always were like, what about the dads? What about the dads? And I used to say, you know, when I first started Girls Who Code, people would say to me, what about the boys? Can't you just name it kids who code? And I would say, no, this is about focus, not exclusion. The reality is, is less than 20% of the technology workforce is women. So we got to call it Girls Who Code. Similarly here, two-thirds of the caregiving work is done by moms. Moms make $0.58 for every dollar. Dads get a premium for doing caregiving work. So it's not about caregiving work. It's about who's doing the caregiving work. Again, it's about focus, not exclusion. And so by saying moms... It forces us to ask the question, why have we as a society treated motherhood differently than fatherhood? And what is that about? Focus, not exclusion. We have to talk about the world as it is today and not where we want it to be, but be very clear that like where we want to go. And here's the thing. People always are like, what do you do about the dance? I'm like, they're not my problem. They want what I want. You know, the first seven figure checks were given to me by men who had single moms who saw this. You know, when I talked to dads, and when dads during the pandemic got to, you know, take Johnny to school and pack the lunch and go to Little League, and guess what? That meant that their diabetes was reduced. Their level of heart attacks were reduced. They lived longer. They were happier. But we live in a society that gaslights men for for caregiving. We've heard this all the time. I know I have friends who are dads who took paid leave, and, and their boss would be like, well, what are you doing? Why do you need that? So there's a culture, you know, that is at odds with parenting that is done by both genders. You know, and so like we have to really push against that. And I think that the way that you do that is you build for the most vulnerable. The most vulnerable in a workforce right now is a woman of color, a single mom. She is the most vulnerable. So if you design for the most vulnerable, if I build a workplace that basically supports black mothers, I will support everybody. And that's how we we have to think about how we design workplaces. We design them for the most vulnerable.
2: I love that. And are we thinking about the role of and expectations of a mother differently than we were 10, 20 years ago? Because could just be me and my bias, but I'm like, man, did moms have to do this much in the nineties? Is it social media that is driving this obsession with like what it is to look and be a mom? It's exhausting.
0: It's exhausting. In my book, Pay Up, I talk about how, like, today, working moms spend more time with their kids than stay-at-home moms did in the 1960s. And so much of that is about the expectation. You know what I mean? It's funny. Even something like the fact that, like, so when I go speak on panels and I'm away from my kids, I hate it. Like, I hate being away from my children. But I love my work. I want to live a life that is equanimous, right? That I'm able to do the work that I want to do in this world and I'm able to show up and be with my kids, the way that I want to show up and be with my kids. And it's that tension, you know, that creates this sense of dissatisfaction or guilt or exhaustion. But if we gave women, people, control over their schedules and their
2: lives, yeah, it would change everything. Right back to remote work. It ties right back to flexibility. It ties right back to you being able to do the work, be at home, and have face time with your family.
0: There are things that happen to us as people every day. Dogs we're losing, children that are sick, parents that are dying, illnesses that we just learn about. And what's different, I think, about this moment now is that we feel like we actually don't have the space to actually, like, fully feel and live those experiences because we have to show up here and be here and do this and do that. And I think that is what is exhausting people, right? And so when you have a workplace that allows you to, like, meet life where life is meeting you right now with empathy and with compassion, right? Like everybody on my team was just in the, I had to just tell one person who told everybody and everybody was like, took over my calendar. You know what I mean? And because like, my instinct is to like, no, no, I'm going to show up for that. I'm going to show up for this. I'm going to be here. I'm going to be there, right? Even though I'm dying. And I, and I think the reality is, is right now we have far less empathy for one another than we did, I think, 30 years ago. They surveyed Democrats and Republicans. And they said, if you saw somebody falling down on the street that was of a different party than you, would you pick them up? And 75% of Republicans said no, and like 75% of Democrats said no. That is crazy. And so we've lost our sense of compassion and of empathy. Oftentimes, even now with the work that I'm doing on Moms First, you know, I hear from people who don't have kids. Like there's an article I just posted on my Instagram feed about how people think that maternity leaves a vacation or sabbatical. And so like, really, that's where we've come to? Like just because you're not benefiting from something you think that nobody else should? And that kind of shows up again in the words of the bank CEO of like, well, no, no, I, I want what I want, even though I know that it is actually healing for other people.
2: Yeah. And we'll figure that out. Somebody else will figure that out, right? Yeah. What do you think is creating that chasm of empathy that's just eroding in American society right now? Loneliness. Mm. I think we're so
0: disconnected. I think the pandemic allowed really shifted people's social behaviors and I think really shifted women's social behaviors. I mean, if you think about it, like, we need women to be social because we basically make the community. We make the family. We make the school. We make we make everything, right? I don't know if you've found this, Lindsay, but I definitely socialize far less than I used to. I retreat a lot more. And I think we feel like, again, so lonely and so disconnected from one another that it's making us angry. And so what people really need right now is to find connection. Yeah. I've moved I think from that feeling to like I want to learn. For example, started working with a monk. And so every other week I have an hour appointment with a monk. And we talk about what I read and what I think what we've been what's on our minds about my or about spirituality and about connection and about compassion. I don't know if you I realize like I don't have any hobbies. But like my hobby is my hourly conversation with my monk, right? And so I think we have to give ourselves permission and space to kind of do those things, because that's how we grow and that's how we find and feel joy. Yes. I love that.
2: I want to go back to childcare in part because many of us don't have hobbies because we're watching our kids. Yeah, I have a three-year-old and a seven-year-old. I like to tell people like, I'm in it. I'm in it right now. I feel like I go from shower to work to bedtime. And so child care plays such an important role and the cost is soaring. It's astronomical. Since 2000, the cost of child care has exceeded the rate of inflation by 41%. In many cities, child care costs a quarter of a family's income at least. And what impact does it have on families today to happen when more women are exiting the workforce because they make the choice that they'd rather stay home than, you know, go into debt to pay for childcare. Yeah, because most women are working to
0: work, right? And the lack of affordable accessible childcare is like the number one reason that women are continuing to exit the workforce. And it's the reason why women are downshifting. And it's the reason why that families are having kind of impossible discussions on how to support their economic security. So it's the center of everything. So we've launched this National Business Coalition on Childcare. We have over 40 plus companies that have joined because the narrative shift that we're trying to have is that childcare is not your personal problem to solve. It's a business imperative. So it goes in the same category as healthcare, as family health care. You know, employers would first cover your health care, and then they started covering your kids' healthcare and your spouse's healthcare because if they were sick, you weren't coming to work. If you didn't have family health care, you could not work. Child care is the same thing. I think one out of four Americans lost their jobs because of child care disruptions. It's the number one pain point for families. But again, we live in this country where two-thirds of Americans believe that one parent should stay home with the children. Guess what parent that is? I can guess. Right. So when legislators are in states and they're doing the budget and they're figuring out where to deploy funds, it's not child care because they still think the mom can be at home. And so this is a deeply cultural shift that we have to make. And I really think that sometimes when you need deep cultural shifts, the private sector is what really helps
2: shift culture. And that's what we're doing at Moms First. And so you're advocating for the company to take this on, much like insurance. Do you ultimately believe it should live in the private sector or that this is really, if you had your way, I would imagine that you would think this is actually public policy that should be implemented? Government. Right. Yes.
0: Yes. If I had my way, it would be government. You know, I mean, we would be Norway. We would have universal childcare that is basically provided and paid for, right, by the government, by our tax dollars.
2: What does it look like in other countries to have those programs set up? What benefits are women in those countries seeing? I mean, see, to me,
0: when I define freedom for women, I think freedom is the ability to move in and out of the workforce without penalty. And so women in those countries have choice. I, too, have a three-year-old and an eight-year-old. And so it's it would be like... She's in it. Yeah, I'm in it too. But it would be like, I want to be at home with Cy for two years, but that doesn't mean that I can't go start a company or an organization. Right here, it's like you exit the workforce for a period of time. You can't get back in. So like, it's not like that in other countries. Secondly, it's like... Your childcare bill doesn't put you into poverty in other nations. If you just look at the pandemic, because they had a stable structure of care and because moms were not the social safety net, you didn't have eleven million women that were pushed out of the workforce. In fact, most Canada, the UK, Norway, they didn't have any shift in economic participation of women. The United States is far, far behind its peers and other industrialized nations on this. We have the most educated workforce of women that have the least amount of participation in the labor market.
2: Think about that. I'm crying about that.
0: Yeah, it just doesn't—it's very depressing. As an American, it's like it doesn't make sense for our innovation of our country. I mean— we're in this moment, we're having a conversation about AI, and we're leading in an AI, and what's the future, and what's the potential? Like, we need everybody to be able to work and operate and to live at their fullest potential. And that also just means that we can't be keep on um, burning people out as well in this hustle
2: culture that we have that is simply also not making people realize their fullest potential either. So you— Mentioned the National Business Coalition for Childcare that Moms First is supporting. What do the companies participating have in common? Yeah. What are some of your partners and what is everybody banding together to accomplish? So, you know, we launched this
0: National Business Coalition for Child Care to expand the number of employees with access to childcare benefits. We're pulling two levers to do that. You know, first, we're building a coalition of businesses from across industries who are leading on this issue and creating this kind of first mover effect to inspire other companies to follow suit. We're getting case studies from companies who are doing this, like, Patagonia, you know, they've had on-site childcare available to both salaried and hourly workers, and they estimate that they recoup about 90% of the cost of these centers through tax benefits and employee retention and engagement. That data empowers other organizations to make these investments. I don't want companies to provide childcare subsidies because it's the right thing to do. I want them to do it because it makes business sense. Because that's why they'll keep on doing it. You know, second, we're working with leaders who want to speak out about the business case for federal investment in child care. You know, there's broad bipartisan support for affordable and quality child care. We just haven't gotten elected officials to take action. I think CEOs can be the game changer. Jamie Dimon is on my vision board because I do believe that he is exactly the kind of advocate that we need on this issue. You know, 10 years ago, my vision board was Tim Cook. And I said, I'm going to get Tim Cook to start talking about girls in coding. And 10 years later, he did. But I think part of the issue is with any CEO is the business data is not out there, Mm -hmm. right? And so we got to collect it, provide it, share it, and then move people along. And people are allowed to change their position on things. And I do think like, Again, the average American simply thinks that childcare is not my problem to solve as your employer. Like, you got to figure it out, your family. And so we have to move that conversation to say, no,
2: it's our problem. We got to figure it out because when we figure it out, we win as a company. What are some company policies that you've seen in action that work really
0: well? Yeah, I mean, one of our partner companies is providing cash subsidies to store managers that work in retail. And that, again, has led to retention. You know, it costs 20% of somebody's salary to replace somebody within a year. So it's a cost savings. So like, you give me a cash subsidy, I'm sticking with you. You know, we have companies who have opened commercial real estate that are turning it into child care centers, right? That's been a game changer. Because, again, like if you talk to companies like at Disney, like at Google, you know, who participated in the company's child care center, they've been at that company for like 20 years, like it creates a loyalty and it creates a sense of like,
2: I want to be here. If you want to solve the commercial real estate problem and you want people back in the office, it sounds like opening up some daycare could be the solve yeah. that someone's looking for, right? I wish that like companies would mandate everybody taking paid leave,
0: would actually have tight performance to how employees have redistributed unpaid labor in their families, celebrate dads that are doing caregiving work, celebrate... Anybody who's doing caregiving work, you know, a CEO was telling me that he had one of his female employees apologize and say, I got to leave this meeting early. He's like, no, 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 wait, I want you to take a bow. Like that kind of shift that you are a hero, right? You are a hero for being a caregiver, whether it's for an elderly parent, whether it's for a nephew or a niece, or whether it's for your own child. Like that's something
2: we should celebrate and we should value, You talked about the idealist for women to kind of come and go in the workforce without being penalized. How can companies support parents who want to take that career gap, who want to take time off? And think about those policies in particular, how we're kind of like reassessing the way that we look at the resume gap. Yeah, I mean, these are the things that irritate me. Like,
0: it's an algorithmic solution. Any company that still has algorithms that are spitting out gaps in resumes, is, that's unacceptable. Do we really believe that if you're a freaking PhD or you have your master's and you take six months off or, got, or 12 months off that you suddenly lost your intelligence or your brain or your capacity or your ability? I mean, come on. There's two places where things are leaking. I was talking to a behavioral psychologist and he was saying the pipeline for women is the leakiest three to five years into their career. Before they've actually become a mom, but in anticipation of being a mom, ah. right? So it's like, I may not even be in a relationship. I don't have a kid, but I look around and I don't see anybody who has the things that I want. So I'm out. We have to change that culturally, right? And that goes two ways. One, I think for us to get super scientific as employers to say, wait, why are people really leaving? And how do I change that? So like, oh my God, I was interviewing like a 16 year old today and she says, I mean, so profound. I said, when you kids talk about leadership, what are you looking for? And she said, you know what we're looking for? We're looking for leaders to actually solve their problems instead of us telling them to. So, like, again, if you're a company and you know that women have been leaving forever at this time, why do I have to come and tell you to fix it? Why can't you recognize – you fix it yourself? Just like the fact that we know that the reason why we had to build return ships is because women were not able to return. When they were returning, they didn't feel welcome. Right. So this is all, I mean, you run a company, I run I've run a couple of companies. This is all about metrics, goals, and measurement.
2: It's the simple business stuff. It's the
0: simple business stuff.
2: How do we measure it? How are we aware of it? And then working towards a simple solution to fix it.
0: How many moms did I leave in year one? And great, maybe in their exit interview, they're telling me that they're leaving because they want to spend more time with their kids. Like, sure. Bullshit, Right. They're leaving because they don't feel comfortable, welcome, or able to basically, again, see their children and be effective. So, like, know the truth about that. And then how do you, again, set a goal of where you want to be? And then what are the policy things that you put into place to test it out? So, like, this is kind of what I want to see more from companies on this particular issue.
2: So if you could write a new rule for business that would help working parents succeed, what would the new rule be? Employers must subsidize childcare for employees. Period. Period. She said what she said. All right, and then one more closer, which is we always ask, what's the best or worst piece of leadership advice you've ever received? I mean, the best piece of leadership advice I've
0: ever received is, you know, let failure be your inspiration. I love failure. It's such a
2: gift. You don't learn when you're winning. No, you don't. I love it. Well, thank you. Thank you so much, Lindsay. It was great seeing you. It was great seeing you. Thanks for joining us today. That was Reshma Sujani. She's the founder and CEO of Moms First and Girls Who Code and a frequent speaker at Chief.
1: So it seems pretty clear that we are deeply backpedaling on the eye-opening lessons that we learned during the pandemic where working moms were buckling under the lack of childcare support.
2: It does feel like we're going backwards. Like Reshma said, child care really is the center of everything. The pipeline to the C-suite, the gender pay gap, the mental health crisis.
1: Yeah. There's a common misconception that women who don't have children are exempt from these biases. But the bias actually comes for everyone. And the gender pay gap largely exists simply due to women's potential for pregnancy. And it actually impacts men too, because working dads are shamed into skipping parental leave, which then fuels the vicious cycle of people thinking that women with children are not as committed to their jobs
2: just because they have to shoulder more of the child care. Oh, the bias does come for everyone. And one stat that Reshma shared that just personally broke my heart is that America has the most educated workforce of women with the least amount of workforce participation. Right now, women don't have a whole lot of options when it comes to childcare, but there are policy solutions. And
1: there's an opportunity for CEOs to really lead this culture change. And mandate that everybody needs to take leave for a pregnancy, regardless of your gender.
2: Yeah. And, and other ways to make change is to just not disqualify a resume because you see a gap. You've got to consider stipends that can be used for caregiving costs. And for a totally free solution... Treat the caregivers in your companies like the heroes they are, right? Don't let them apologize for leaving early or for missing a meeting due to caregiving responsibilities. Celebrate and support them. And by the way, I need to leave this podcast early to go pick (laughs) up my kids. I celebrate and support you, Lindsay. I do. (laughs) Model it from the top, Carolyn.
1: (laughs) So that apparently is all for this episode of the new rules of business by chief,
2: because Lindsay's gotta go. I gotta go get my kids. So look, I'm racing out of here. Celebrate me. Don't miss out on all of our chief content. You can get more podcast episodes by following the new rules of business on your favorite podcast app. And if you want to learn more about chief, just head to our website, chief.com.
1: Chief is the most powerful community for senior executive women designed to create meaningful connections with fellow executive leaders that'll unlock transformative outcomes for your career. Thanks to Sharon Yee, Courtney Conley, Mercy Harper, and Mesa Melton at Chief, and to our entire production team, Pod People. Our music is by Colin Hatch. I'm Carolyn Childers.
2: And I'm Lindsay Kaplan. Thanks again for listening.